Richard Baker, thank you very much indeed for joining the Cambridge Judge Business School podcast series today. We're here at the first leadership seminar lecture of uh, 2011. Your lecture was entitled Lessons in Leadership, and the first lesson appeared to be for our MBA uh, business graduates not to accept rejection when they apply to get a job in the business world after their academic career. Just tell us a little bit about how you joined Mars. Yes, when I was leaving Cambridge, I had a debate about what sort of work to do, as I guess many people will find themselves in a similar situation. And I decided to apply to what I thought were the best university companies. Um, I I didn't have a business degree at that time, and I applied to companies like Procter & Gamble, Unilever, Kellogg's and Mars. Uh, and the bad news is I was rejected from them all, not necessarily without interview. In fact, it was slightly more embarrassing to be rejected after an interview. It's one thing being rejected off the page, but when they've had a good look at you and they still reject you, that's more worrying. Uh, but in that process, I had really liked many of the things about the Mars company and was bitterly disappointed when I was told that I hadn't been selected to join their graduate scheme. And after a bit of reflection, I decided to write back and ask whether they would give me a second chance Uh, which thankfully they did, and I went back and had some further interviews, and uh, you can imagine my delight when I was actually offered a job there. So one of the lessons for me is, uh, you know, if you want something badly enough, you've really got to try hard and um, don't necessarily take rejection as as the end game. But, you know, that moment when you had the confidence to write that letter, that was quite a moment, wasn't it? You could have just said, well, I'm not good enough, but you clearly thought you were. Can, Can you just take us through writing that letter? I'm not sure it was confidence that drove me to write the letter. I think more desperation, and I think most brave decisions are taken often with a with an element of fear behind you. Um, I really wanted to work for that company, and it wasn't that I thought I was the cast whiskers, but I thought um, I would see if they'd give me a second chance. And um, as I say, thankfully, they did look kindly upon my letter, gave me a second chance. Uh, I probably prepared better the second time around, I suspect, because I knew I really wanted it, and I didn't have too many options at that stage, and thankfully it came off. And it's that sort of focus that Mars had, that reputation in the world of of graduates applying for their first jobs, that that really gave you the foundation principles of of your career, which has now become very eminent. But just take us through those five principles that, that Mars taught you. I was very taken when I joined Mars with the fact that it wasn't a company that talked about strategies and plans, but it absolutely had principles which uh, were effectively carved in stone, and they certainly had existed for 25 years before I joined. Uh, And looking at the website last week, I can see they're still there, loud and clear, unchanged in the last 25 years. So these principles are at least 50 years old. And that's a pretty unusual thing in business. Uh, Business is often referred to as being very dynamic, ever-changing, and so on. Um, But those principles have have remained firmly in place. Uh, And the Mars principles are, and let's see if I can remember them now, uh, quality, uh, efficiency, mutuality, responsibility, and freedom. Uh, And behind every one of those five words is a short sentence that really describes uh, the importance of the principle and how to define it. Uh, And it lives and breathes in the company every day. And I'm sure those five principles are one of the reasons that 100 years on, Mars is still one of the most successful private companies in the world. And that principle went from the shop floor right up to the boardroom, didn't it? The senior executives going on to the the factory floor and taking those principles and what they've observed up to the board and the CEO. But but you picked out of those five principles two. One was value for money, the other was mutuality to discuss. And, And in particular, 
value for money, the price per gram of the Mars bar, the executives of Mars had to give value for money? Yes, I mean, the first principle is quality, uh, but it ends up, the principle of saying value for money is our goal. And I was referring in my lecture to the fact that if you want to build a long-term business supplying the mass market in consumer uh, products, then if you don't have value for money at the heart of what you're trying to create, engineer, whatever word you will, um, then you're probably not going to be terribly successful. And the great lesson I learned was when the Mars family came to visit the company, the first piece of information they wanted to check when they were doing their business review was our pricing relative to our two most important competitors, the Mars bar compared to Kit Kat and Cadbury's Dairy Milk bar. And they always checked that we were offering the best value for money. So they made it very real, they made it very practical, and they were insistent upon it. So these principles were not something that were written on the wall. They lived and breathed inside the company every day, and they were from the top to the bottom. And then the second principle I referred to in particular was mutuality, which I think um, was effectively a forerunner to what's called corporate social responsibility in the modern world. And the Mars brothers understood that if you don't think carefully about all of your other stakeholders, your suppliers, your customers, your consumers, your local community, if you act only in self-interest, you're probably not building a very sustainable future for your company. So they were very clear about... Um, ensuring that the people who were picking cocoa beans in the fields of Africa that we were buying to make our chocolate bars were properly provided for. They were very careful about the effluent waste products that we were putting into the local ecosystem. And so even 50 years ago, uh, the Mars company understood the, the, the importance of thinking about the people you're doing business with and, and not trying to take every last crumb for yourself. And freedom, that was one of the fifth principles that, that Mars gave you and they would borrow short term but not long term. You thought that was important too. Yeah I mean I just thought it was an interesting feature of the Mars company it's, it's not the way every company would work but it's clearly been a foundation of a very very successful private company and that is they didn't want to make uh, long term commitments to banks and they certainly didn't want outside shareholders and, and therefore the company was always run with a strict focus on the return on capital so that money generating the business was invested wisely for the future of the company, and they didn't borrow to accelerate their growth. They worked with the resources that they had, and the principle of freedom simply said, without profit we will not be free. And the bit that's not said that would be in brackets is we're not free from banks or outside shareholders. So if we remain profitable, we remain free because we remain independent and private. And then after 10 years of Mars, you went to Asda for, for another five years, and you very much took with you, didn't you, that principle of mutuality. What did you do and why? Yes, I, Asda was an interesting situation because it's very different to Mars. It was a struggling business in a turnaround, and, and by no means a certain turnaround as well. It could easily have failed. Um, I think the big point I took from my time at Asda was the importance of communication to the employees, and uh, the chief executive at ASDA was one of the most impressive people I've ever worked with, called Archie Norman. And instead of writing a very complicated, strategically sound strategy, he wrote a, sing a simple plan for the company on one page that he used with shareholders, he used with the press, but more importantly, he used with every single one of the employees, whichever branch they were in, from Barrow to Brighton. It was the same one-page mission statement and plan for the company. So he created extraordinary clarity and simplicity at a time when actually the company was in chaos. 
And through that focus and simplicity uh, of the one-page plan, everybody sort of pulled together and all the resources were well organised and the company emerged very strong from that difficult period. And, and in terms of that mutuality principle that you took from Boots, the staff of ASDA could understand that whatever educational level, you know, uh, they had to be able to crack a joke if, if they were at the checkout, but, but, it, but it very much filtered down again from the top to the bottom. Yes, I I think the company was very clear that uh, it wanted to reposition itself as a low-price retailer. But there's a danger when you become a discount anything that you you become cheap and nasty as opposed to being cheap and cheerful. And the company worked very hard on the relationship with its employees to ensure that its employees enjoyed working in the company, that the working relations, the working policies and practices, the quality of the leadership was very high even to the extent that it wanted to employ people with a sense of humour. And so people were asked to tell a joke at interview. And it wanted to create a business full of cheerful people so that the, the brand became known as being cheap and cheerful as opposed to cheap and nasty. Well, you turned Asda around and you went to Boots in 2003, the youngest CEO in the FTSE 100 uh, companies. Now, that was a tough time for you, wasn't it? Because, again, you know, you had discovered the business plan wasn't right and you talked of those dark moments of doubt. Yes, uh, when I went to Boots, um, I I took with me, as most of us do, sort of lessons learnt previously and assumed they would work again. Uh, And so, uh, funnily enough, I created a one-page plan with a very simple mission statement, borrowing from Archie's teachings, and set to work with, uh, with a relatively new team, injecting energy into the company. But broadly, we kept doing what we had always been doing, trying to do it marginally better. And the conclusion came to me after about 18 months that that wasn't going to uh, create a good result, that where we were as an organization was fundamentally and strategically flawed, and we had to change the company. And so um, with the support of the board and the chairman who'd come to the same conclusion... Uh, we sold some parts of the business and then we merged the company with another FTSE 100 company to create a completely new business with a completely different centre of gravity, a totally different balance sheet. And that company, thankfully, then went on to be very successful. And that company is? That company is today called Allianz Boots and the merger was between the Boots Group and Allianz Unichem, which was another pharmacy-focused FTSE 100 company. And, and they were both worth Boots and Allianz $3 billion. You sold for $11 billion just before the crash and, and those queues you talked about uh, around the building societies. That, that must have been a tense moment for you. Just talk us a little bit about how you negotiated that merger. Well, um, the merger was negotiated um, about a year before the bid, so uh, the merger was negotiated in, in, um, in great secret, as mergers are, because if news leaks to the market before the company is ready to explain its story, it can you know, have very dramatic effects. Not just and, and news did rise. leak. And news did leak, and um, we, we lost control of the story, unfortunately, after about four months of working you know, behind the scenes. So we felt we'd had quite a good run, because these things can leak almost instantly if you're not very careful. Uh, But it leaked and we had to accelerate our announcement. And um, ultimately, we did get the merger done. And as you described a moment ago, it it did create a huge amount of value for the shareholders. And if we then take your next step, you decided, didn't you, that you wanted to be a chair, not a CEO, of mid-sized businesses to help grow them. Can you run us through some of your titles and how that role of chair differs from that 
of CEO. Clearly, you can sack the CEO if need be. Indeed. I mean, it's the ultimate power of a chairman, of course, and the most important decision a chairman will generally make. Um, Yes, I moved from being the chief executive of Boots, and I decided that I'd worked in three very large, very mature, quite old established companies, and uh, I wanted to try my hand at something different. And so... I've been very lucky that over the last three years I've joined as chairman uh, three uh, quite different businesses from anything I've worked in before. Uh, the first company I, I became chairman of is Virgin Active, which is an international health clubs company, part of the Virgin Group, uh, not wholly owned by Virgin. We have other shareholders as well, uh, but that's a, an 11-year-old company that's, that's growing very rapidly. Um, I then became chairman of the company called Group Aeroplan, but its brand would be known as Nectar. And that's basically the largest loyalty scheme in the UK and now in Italy and Latin America and various other places. Uh, And we're basically a very modern marketing company where we gather data on people's shopping behavior and process and resell that data for other people's business benefit. And then most recently I bought with a private equity firm uh, the UK's largest sofa retailer called DFS, which again is a unique, interesting company, which was founded and managed by one person from the age of 24 to 65, Lord Graham Kirkham, who sold last summer after a lifetime in the company. Um, and this is the first time it's had an outside leader, so another interesting challenge. Well, if I was to be bold enough to sum up your lessons in leadership talk to the Cambridge Judge Business School MBA students today, I'd have to mention three things. You talked about trust, luck and team. You play hockey, um, tennis as well, and that lovely story of of going to play hockey even when you're in the middle of a a merger deal. Um, Why trust, luck and team? Um, I think trust is at the heart of all business relationships and um, when people are trusting, things can happen much faster than when there is mistrust. Um, you know, one's word is one's bond and if people will take you at your word and trust you things happen a moment later if people mistrust you nothing happens and I've learned that trust is incredibly important luck um, I, I know we make a certain amount of luck in our lives but there are all sorts of external circumstances over which we have no control and I do regard myself as being lucky and fortunate to have had some good breaks at the right times Uh, And there were times when it looked as though it was going to go the other way. So anybody who thinks they're master of their own destiny, I would say they are up to a point. And then finally, team. Um, None of us can do any of this on our own. And whatever work we do one way or another, we're dependent on others. Uh, And it's always important to remember that that we're all fallible. uh, But surrounding yourself with good people in trusting relationships and playing to win as a team... Uh, together we can achieve a lot more than any one person can on their own. Well, Richard Baker, I'm not going to end on that final bit of advice, but just ask if you could tell that lovely story again about the bird table at Astor, a moment that you described when you nearly died on the spot. Yes, I was was on my first day at Asda, and... um, I had uh, joined to be non-food trading director, which was a subject I knew absolutely nothing about. I'd only ever been a a chocolate marketeer up to that point. And um, during the Monday morning trading meeting at ASDA, Archie Norman, the chief executive, was uh, was berating the various trading directors uh, for their uh, poor performance and why their products weren't selling, whether it was meat and poultry or beer, wines and spirits. And uh, sitting there on my first day, not even understanding half of what was being spoken about because I wasn't a retailer, Archie pointed at me at one moment and said, Richard, what are you doing about the bird tables? And I, surprised, said to him, I didn't know we were in the bird table business, Archie. And he said, we're not, but you are. 
and you're in it in a very big way. Have you seen how much stock you've got? And I said, Archie, honestly, I don't know anything about bird tables. I didn't know we'd got any. He said, you've bought a lot of them. Um, anyway, cut a long story short, he sent me away with a flea in my ear to get rid of the bird tables PDQ. So I went back to my department, found the poor soul who was, uh, who'd bought all of these bird tables. We cut the price from £10 to £1 and cleared them out in a week. I think they were sold as firewood. Uh, but the lesson, of course, was that in a retail business in crisis, you don't have the luxury of time. Uh, and you've got to start uh, making decisions and earning your bacon uh, very much from the first morning. And that was the lesson that Archie taught me. By the way, something I didn't mention in my lecture, which is also true, is on the day I left ASDA, uh, at my leaving dinner, I was presented with a gift from my colleagues, and it is a bird table. And at my home today in Stamford, a few uh, miles up the road, I do have the Archie Norman Memorial Bird Table in my back garden. Well, Richard Baker, thank you very much for practising what you preach, mutuality, and sharing that lovely story with us. Uh, lessons in Leadership, uh, the Cambridge Judge Business School podcast series today, Leadership Seminar. I've enjoyed it so much. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure.